Hi, everyone. It's your podcast host, Jim Andrews, here with a reminder that the Ticket Manager Partner Summit is back. We'll be getting together in person on October 17th this year at the Times Center in New York City. This is a free, invitation-only event where hundreds of business leaders across the world's most influential brands in sports, sponsorship, live events, and ticketing gather to make great connections and share valuable information. Approved attendees enjoy exclusive networking events, insightful panels, and exciting celebrity speakers, all for free. Are you interested in attending? Just go to ticketmanager.com for details on how to apply. Welcome to Ticket Manager's All Access Interview Series, engaging leaders from across the sports marketing spectrum to identify and explore critical issues in the business of sports, entertainment, sponsorship, activation, ticketing, hospitality, you name it. I'm your host, Jim Andrews. Joining me on this episode to discuss what it's like to be on the ground floor of a new professional sports franchise, as well as the transition from sponsorship buyer to seller, is Nick Kelly, president of Charlotte Football Club. Welcome, Nick. Thanks for joining us. Hey, th- thanks for having me, Jim. I appreciate appreciate you at the time and obviously the opportunity. Yeah, this is great. And I know you're you're busy, got a lot going on, and kind of want to start there. Uh, you know, with, with a new club like like Charlotte FC, you know, you're building out an entire operation from scratch. You know, partnership sales, ticket sales, human resources, you know, all of that stuff. I know you've uh, been hiring lots of folks, and that's that's of course great news. Just looking at the, the sponsorship function specifically, you know, I would imagine that the opportunity to kind of start with a with a blank slate is both a, a blessing and a curse. Would I be right in that assumption? Yeah, it's a great point. Is it? There, it's really exciting to, to start with a clean slate. That there is no like we've always done it this way conversation, or you know, there is no you know ceiling or floor currently, which is good. I think that the hard part is just that. But we're trying to educate a market that's, you know, uh, tailored to NFL and NASCAR and NBA, where their understanding of, of the soccer landscape is challenging. So it's a fun challenge because, I mean, we have it's a little bit of a unique scenario, maybe more so than the, a new market like Austin is that you know, there is partners in the building. Like we have uh, the Panthers there. And so there's a Bank of America. There's uh, Anheuser-Busch. There's others. So like. We have to put it, take into consideration uh, some existing, call it Tepper Sports partners, and help them educate them on the opportunity and the complementary opportunity with Charlotte FC, as opposed to it's the same fan base. And I think that that's been the biggest education piece from a research standpoint is sharing eye-opening information that the people that are going to come to a Charlotte FC match this season, especially on a more consistent basis, aren't necessarily coming to Bank of America watch Panthers. And I think that. That in and of itself has been, uh, you know, probably the biggest conversation starter with a lot of these people because they think, well, I've got the Panthers. It's going to be the same people. And we show that the overlaps less than 5%. They're like, oh, wow, like I can hit another half a million people coming into the venue next year that I'm not hitting with the Panthers. Like, tell me more. So that has been extremely exciting. And, and just the other part, too, of, you know, we can talk to partners that we don't, we don't have an existing relationship within the building to, to, to expand the greater 
opportunity, have it be banking, have it be anything else. So, I mean, that's where we're in a uh, a unique position. Well, it is daunting to try and bring on new partners because we had, we started with one when I started, which was Ally, and now we're trying to get to call it twenty or thirty. It's also you know fun. I mean, I think that I didn't know that I would. I would knew I would wear a lot of hats, but I mean, essentially going out there and selling, uh, you know, as probably everything from tickets to sponsorships to, you know, community initiatives, like, I'm, you know, the ultimate non-experienced salesperson, salesperson now, because I'm selling, you know, that's all I do all day. And I would imagine too, with the first match, not for, you know, about, about another year, you know, your, your players aren't in market yet. Lost last year to, to to COVID, obviously. So, you know, what's that process like in terms of kind of generating excitement among among the fans first uh, in Charlotte? Love to hear a little bit about that. But then also how that ties into uh, talking to to the sponsors. And is it reasonable to expect them to kind of jump on board this early? Or are you anticipating you might have to wait a little bit before that uh, excitement builds? How does how does that all work? It's extremely challenging because of, let's say, COVID is, it has, I would made it a little bit easier today. You know, we're, we're talking the middle, middle of March, late, early April, where we're in a position of now that the vaccine is rolling out a little bit better, even though I've been here seven weeks and even from the first week to now, the conversations, you know, tone and tenor has dramatically shifted of a, Hey, we don't know if we're, when we're going to get out of this to like, Hey, we expect you to have a full stadium. So I think that the, the conversations have been a lot more progressive. The challenging part for us is I'm selling air. I don't have any players. I, ha- I don't have a baseline to even show you the attendance numbers, the ratings, anything. And even like the tra- tra- traditional stuff that I could sell, which would be like social media impressions and things like that. I'm trying to build a social media platform. So like I don't have, I'm selling the, the dream and we're selling the belief that we're going to be a top uh, ranked franchise. And ultimately, at that point, I'm selling myself, I'm selling our ownership and our, our GM that like, we will be able to deliver it. Because right now, I mean, we really aren't, we can't deliver it and, and guarantee you anything. So that's why what makes it the, probably the most challenging sell in the, in the industry right now is that doing it in a pandemic, but it just doing it at all is extremely hard. And so I think that that's been fun. I think that the only other piece that, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't, take me i don't take for granted is the fact that having sat on the other side you know on the on the brand side is that we've gotten really good at listening which i think has always been a problem with you know a lot of teams and leagues when they come in to sell a brand is you know they kind of know the assets they have to sell and they try and like you know you know cram them into a partnership because they have so many minutes of led time and they have whatever so what we've done at least from a change standpoint is we go in and do an introductory meeting of like, this is what we expect out of the franchise. This is who we are. This is what we stand for. And we don't sell them anything. We basically sell us and the dream and the belief. And then we ask them like, you know, what, what is it that you're looking to do in the marketplace? Or what is it you're looking to do for the summertime, which is, you know, the one key piece uh, and listen. And then we bring back a proposal because we, we're, we're going in that we don't know any of these partners because we truly don't. And we're not taking it for granted the ones we have on the Panthers side that their objectives in the summertime or in the spring are the same as the ones they have in the fall with the Panthers. So it's been really good. And we've had some a lot of really positive reception to that strategy because I can tell you from having been on the other side, I only had that happen like five times out of like the seven, six or seven years I was there where people just wanted to like hear what, what can we do for you? So that's kind of a, a shift in philosophy that we've had here. 
Do you have uh, kind of expectations around the, around the timeline uh, timeline as, as to when you might uh, start announcing and, and having those partners uh, with you? Is is it too early to kind of? No, it's just, no. We're we're probably going to start announcing in April. Uh, a handful of partners. So we obviously we had Ally when we launched the team because they're our kit sponsor, um, and they've been a phenomenal partner even in the last you know year in the middle of a pandemic trying to activate the brand. So they've been phenomenal. But we're looking at you know we'll have five to six get announced in April or May. Then you know we'll progressively you know do stuff in the summertime. But one thing we're trying to do is just you know because we need partners to make this a key summer platform. We're being pretty selective because I think that we need their help, maybe maybe more so than they need us right now. Because then we have that transparent conversation of like, you know, if you're a grocery store partner or you're a beer partner or whatever, like I need you to get our brand out in the marketplace, and I we do value that. And I think that having that transparent conversation of I don't necessarily need cash today. What I need is I need awareness, and I need your marketing vehicle that you are. Uh, has has led to a lot more long term fruitful conversations of the give take, as opposed to you know we're giving you all this value and we're going to take all your money. Like uh, we know that there is other stuff that uh, these partners as a startup company can do for us that we can't do ourselves. So that's where for us is announcing some of these partnerships sooner rather than later to get them out in the marketplace as we like ramp up to the first year is important because we'll have some partners who just turn on the lights in March of next year when the season starts. And that's perfectly fine, but we need some partners now. Like there's almost like a responsibility. Like if you come on now, we need you to like help, like, mo- you know, basically motivate the fans to get re-engaged now that, you know, we're less than a year out. And I think that probably leads to, just, you know, interesting conversations and conversations that, you know, long-term are probably really beneficial because I think we're all, we've all learned over, over the years, those of us have been doing it for a while, that, you know, this, this business shouldn't be transactional and it shouldn't be necessarily about how much cash are you going to give me to buy this, you know, set of rights and benefits, right? It, it should be about, hey, how can we promote each other and, and, and really work on, on getting some creative things into the marketplace? So you're, you know, you're, the situation almost kind of forcing those conversations in, in your case, but but long-term, that's, that's probably a really good thing. Yeah, and we're in a very, very unique position is that, you know, we're such a data-focused, or at least we're instilling a data-focused uh, mindset here mm-hmm. of showing that it works, the ROI and everything else. And, you know, so much so that we've done a bunch of research current, we're in the middle of doing a bunch of research right now to understand the baseline of every category and our and our fan base and what their impressions are with no partners. So we want to understand if the, once we do have partners on board, like this, the one challenge a lot of teams have is that if you're the Cubs, just to pick on the Cubs, and you've had a partner for 100 years, it's hard to show that you can, you know, you're can you making any impact there because they've been your partner for 100 years. We can truly show six months, 12 months, 18 months from now, is it doing anything for you? And I think that that's where it's, you know, we're in a very unique spot. If we do the upfront work, which we're doing now, It'll allow us to do a better job of telling the brand story of the impact and honestly, what's working and not working. Because if we have you know, partners who are coming in and we're seeing a huge lift in either brand awareness or even brand lift and some of their other key metrics, like we want to make sure that we're replicating that across. So I think that that's where we're in a, a little bit of a advantageous state of taking advantage of, of, of a fresh start. But there's so many things you only get a chance to do once. So we want to make sure that we're doing it now. Uh, and we're not sitting here 12 months from now thinking, man, I really wish I would have done X, Y, and Z. So 
mean, that's the one thing is just managing that time of making sure you're getting the right stuff out there now while you have a clean slate. And I would imagine for the the, the companies and the brands that, that you're approaching, um, you know, I would think that they would appreciate the perspective that you're bringing, right? I mean, you were, let's face it, a pretty prominent figure in, in sponsorship during your your entire time at uh, at AB InBev. You know that, that that obviously lends you know a, a unique perspective to uh, to when you're you're sitting down and talking to uh, to to these brands. How would you say your experience as a buyer? Kind of informs what you're doing as a seller. I mean, it sounds like a little bit of that was coming through in what you what you were just talking about. I think that it's been interesting to see the people I've stayed in touch with as it relates to from the bias from the sell side. And the reason is is because those we we formed a genuine relationship that wasn't just transactional. And I think that those partnerships, now that I look back on it, were probably some of the better partnerships. Period, because we had the two way communication of what's working and not working and had candid conversations. And we would literally, you know, either just change assets on the fly. And it was never a conversation about value or money. And I think we're trying to reflect that same thing here is that we know at the end of the day, if we're building partnerships that work for our, our partners, that the, the money conversation will come and it's a lot easier. I think that the, the second piece is having sat where I sat in the short time I've been here, there's not a conversation that I, 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 I'm having here that I haven't had before. Uh, either tough or easy. And I think that it is a little bit disarming for uh, when I go into a meeting with some of these partners because I can speak their language as it relates to measuring ROI and assets and stuff like that. And it's not a hard sell because I think that, you know, I, I've said in enough presentations when I was on the other side of the table of, of I didn't love the overly salesy piece. I love the more like, how does this work? Why, how, why is it, what's the ROI? Like, Let's you know figure this out versus the wine and dine. So like I have to get better at the wine and dine because some people just do like that. But I think it's much more of a if we can make it make sense and we can make it make sure that it hits your 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 targets from a company standpoint, it'll be the easiest conversation because we're not gonna nickel dime and the other part is too. It's more philosophical and practical and less you know dollars and cents and asset value etc. Like we just want it to work. Uh, because we are taking, we don't take for granted the fact that like you're take, you have faith in us to deliver something right now that we have nothing. So we we do want to honor that whenever we're having these negotiations and these conversations. So it's it's been, I would say, my background has definitely helped in a unique way as we go out in the middle of a pandemic trying to sell air. Along those same lines, I mean, you were you. Really, a leader in in kind of pushing for sponsorships to demonstrate return on objectives, return on investment. You know, very well known for introducing the pay for performance model uh, in in your, in your last role. So now that you're on the other side of the table, are you still a proponent of, of that approach? Now that you're going to be the one that has to kind of prove the performance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, I I'm a hundred percent a proponent for it. Or I mean. I, I'm sure just about every ownership hates it because there's no guarantee. Uh, but I, I actually still like it a lot because what it what it's done is that you know in the, some some of the recent conversations and partnerships that we finalized is it makes us bring everybody into a contract partnership discussion and it's not just the partnership salesperson or just like the account rep. It's like we have our digital team, we have our marketing team coming up with ideas that help us and help them as opposed to. Hey, this brand wants to do five posts on what these the players are wearing. 
Right. Well, the hard part is I have no players right now. And the mm-hmm. second part is, is like, I don't know that we we're going to do that anyway. So like, instead of having our partners dictate to us what it is we should be doing on social media, it's having collaborate of like, here's what we want to do. Like, does it ladder with what you're doing? If the answer is no, being transparent. And I think that that's where it's very much a, uh, you know, having that transparent conversation makes us more comfortable to take those incentive laden deals because we know not only will we achieve them, like we also know that we will build plans to make sure we hit them and do more. And I think that that's the one piece that I saw when I was at AB was the teams that always would achieve their, their, their incentives were very much like they had a plan in place and they would present their plan to us. Like, this is what we're going to do this season. And it literally laddered up to all the key initiatives that we had because they were financially incentivized. So like the model itself still works extremely well. It's just like now being on the other side, it's just training your organization who doesn't isn't currently built that way to to adapt. And and, and that was always the, the focus of that. So I love them. I tried to do something uh, recently where we we flipped it on the partners and tried to give them incentives, but it was the opposite way around. Like we would give them decreases in expenditures if they activated in a certain way. And it just got too complex too fast. Like I think that it became a one of the conversations we had with a uh with a CPG company was if they did a certain number of packages that had our IP, we would do a reduction on their fee because we it would be like free marketing to us. But it just got so complicated about how they would measure or approve it and stuff like that. But like with that, it goes back to where we started, which is like we know the value they have. So we almost tried to flip it on ourselves. And it's just we'll have a partner, I'm sure, who will take it. But it wasn't, it was very much a, we know what we need today, which is awareness. And so we tried to help get, like, motivate our partners to, to get us out there. I love those kind of uh, creative conversations, like I said earlier. And uh, I've seen that a couple of times. I, we used to do that, we called it an activation credit, right? If, if yeah. you hit those kind of targets. But as you say, sometimes it's, these are, they're great, great ideas. And, and unfortunately, they kind of fall apart in, in the details, um, having to work through, especially with large organizations, but that, which yeah. is a shame. But we know that that's, that's uh, bound to happen in some cases. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, I think that we'll we'll figure it out. Somebody who's a little bit more maybe local or, or nimble. But I mean, it's just that to your point, like we need the activation piece for us is that we need partners who aren't just like buying LED and calling it a day. So uh, it, it'll be good. We're, I think it's one we're. I'm. It's more of a. I'm not bored by any means because I mean I'm extremely busy every day. But it's the you know the opportunity to come up with like these kind of creative things differently is what's always fun about like you know being in my old job, my current job is like how do we do it differently for everybody as opposed to like, you know, cut pace over and over again. Nick, we're excited to to see what's next and, and to hear some of those announcements coming up and just to kind of to follow along as as you uh, build out the the team both on the field and off the field uh, over the next year. So we'll definitely uh, check back in with you and, and see how things are going and just want to say thank you so much for, for joining us today. No, thanks so much, Jim. I really appreciate the opportunity and, uh, you know, really look forward to uh, getting the season started here in less than a year. Yeah, I bet. Well, thank you. And on behalf of everyone at Ticket Manager, thank all of you for watching. And please join us again for the next episode in the All Access interview series.